From the McKinsey Global Institute, it's Forward Thinking with Michael Chewy and Janet Bush. So, Michael, supply chains are very much in the news at the moment. During the pandemic and now in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we've learned quite how vulnerable they can be. But they can also be very long. So if you were to rank global supply chains for length, where do you think the fashion and textiles one would sit? Hmm. My hunch would be it must be one of the longest. The fabric starts its life in a cotton field or even nowadays maybe in a lab. There's dyeing and processing and then manufacturing of garments. Cost is such a key consideration in fashion that it tends to take place in low-wage emerging economies. But design might take place in any number of locations. And then everything has to get to consumers, and they're all over the world. And of course, many of these stages aren't really positive for the environment. Well, yes, indeed. So our guest today has been working on supply chains in the retail industry for many years. And now at his institute in Hong Kong, he's been thinking very hard about how to shorten the textiles and fashion supply chain and crucially, how to make it more sustainable. I mean, they're inventing new materials and reinventing processes. Wow. I'm very much looking forward to hearing this conversation. Over to you, Janet. Edwin Kay is the CEO of the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparel. It was set up in 2006 with the aim of becoming a centre of excellence in research and development in the fashion and textiles industry. The Institute has won awards for garment recycling, and for its work on a yarn that captures carbon dioxide from the air. Edwin is also on the faculty at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. He has long experience of the retail business, working for Walmart and Donna Karen, among others. Welcome, Edwin. I'm so pleased that you could join us today. I just wanted to ask by starting a bit about you, your background. Where did you grow up? What did you study? What were your interests? Well, thanks for having me. I, I grew up in Hong Kong. I don't sound like I, I'm from Hong Kong because my wife is American and this accent is for good in-law management. I studied urban design. Uh, my, my undergraduate degree is urban design and I thought I was going to be a sociologist. And in fact, I was on my way to get my PhD in sociology when I took a, uh, what I thought was a summer job working for the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, UNHCR, in, a, in, a, in one of the refugee camps. And I had one of the most frustrating experience, work experience because I was watching people die unnecessarily in, in refugee camps and I couldn't figure out how to get resources to them. So that actually prompted a shift in my thinking and I went to uh, business school, so we went to graduate school and went to business school. And that got me down the road to uh, looking at, at enterprises and supply chains. And I stayed in supply chains for about 30 years. So do you regard yourself as primarily a businessman? Accidentally, I think. I think I, think I was always curious about organizational behavior, organizational structures, and how groups of people organize themselves to get things done in a more efficient manner. And business was a, was, a, was a much more efficient way of looking at that rather than in non, not-for-profits where they don't have as clear and as sharp metrics. But, but I, I, well, I also took a left turn, if you will, right? So as, as you mentioned in your introduction, I got to a point in my career in which 
I, I, I stepped off the, 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 the corporate ladder and decided I wanted to do, spend more time thinking, doing more research and, and, and uh, do something different. And so I stepped off to, to, to run a research institute and, and became an academic and a researcher to, to find out more about uh, how I screwed up in the last 30 years of my career. <laughs> But you say that, but did you enjoy being in business? I mean, you were in retail largely. And how, how did you get into retail and, and what was fun about it? I got into retail because I thought it was it was a fascinating way to 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 learn more about the world. And, and particularly in textile power and the fashion industry, because for whatever reason, we built this very, very long globalized supply chain. It is probably one of the most globalized supply chains of any industry in the world. And, and I was, uh, I'm very curious about how these things work. Uh, and, and so it, it fascinated me and it, it kept me, uh, and, it, and there's, it's, it's not a very static area. There's so many changes as uh, technology, science, and, and, and all the new trends and all the social movements that, that came along uh, during my, my career. So I, I found it, it, it endlessly exciting, but I, I, I did feel at some point that, that I wanted to understand the, 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 the causality behind the phenomenon, which is why I, I stepped off, um, one of the reasons why I stepped off. In a recent interview, you were described as the godfather of Hong Kong's fashion sustainability industry. And it's clear that your institute is doing lots of extremely exciting work. But what led you to focus on sustainability, having been in retail and having been so close to the fashion industry? I was trying to figure out what was going on. And, and so we did a large survey with stakeholders and three big domains. So three big answers I kept getting over and over again as I talked with people were they're, they're, they're really wanted to solve for sustainability because that's something that everybody in every part of the supply chain was asking for, seeking solutions for. In, in Industry 4.0, uh, what do we do? We, we're going from a labor-intensive to a, a more uh, technology-intensive uh, industry. How do we respond to that? And then are there ways in which we can take the, the materials, the learnings, the supply chain, and the processes in this industry and use it in other adjacent industries? So hospitality, high-performance sports, elderly care, um, all those things became um, interesting uh, domains for us. So those three domains have driven the, the, the uh, work of the research center in the last 10 years, and they sort of overlap into each other frequently. But, but sustainability for sure has been something that has caught the imagination and the attention of, of, a, of a lot of stakeholders with our work. So I, I think that's what we've become known for. Before we get into the, the nitty gritty of what your institute is doing and the revolution that's happening in, in fashion and, and, and sustainable materials, how big is the carbon footprint of the fashion industry? I mean, I've read very arresting figures from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. So every year, the foundation says the fashion industry uses enough water to meet the consumption needs of 5 million people. The fashion industry is responsible for 10% of annual global carbon emissions. And that's more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. So I would love to get your take on those figures and, and, and give me some of your own. I think those are all educated guesses. Would, would be how, how I look at those. I, I think they, 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 
probably are are as good as we we uh, we can approximate today. The the fashion industry is certainly quite uh, water intensive. Uh, that the dyeing, the 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 processing, the wet processings uh, that that we do uh, for for our materials consume a lot of water, pollute a lot of water, and certainly uh, um, it it is uh, probably not the most efficient use of of a valuable resources that, that that we have. So so it's it's quite thirsty uh, as an industry. There are some numbers that would indicate that the industry is about five gigatons. Some are higher. It sort of depends on the the uh, how how far back you go into the the uh, the supply chains. You know what us the tier two, tier three types of activities that drive some of these uh, um, this consumption. Certainly, there are other industries that are much bigger contributors uh, to to the the problem. This is a significant and a and a high profile contributor to the challenges we face. Almost all fashion purchases are discretionary purchases. It's not something that we we will not none of us will will, will freeze to death this winter if we don't buy another jacket or, or something like that. So it is something that is much more manageable and controllable. There are other industries that that that, that produce a lot more emissions, but but those may be much harder for us to look for alternatives to. So to a certain extent, you're pushing on, on an open door because of the discretionary nature of fashion. And it and that will depend on how we all collectively as consumers change. And I'll go back to that point. But if you break down that carbon footprint, it seems to be a combination of dirty production, as you mentioned, and waste. So on the dirty production, how is the Institute thinking about that aspect of the footprint? Well, well for sure... If you look at the manufacturing part of the supply chain, that is where the opportunity is. That, that is where, you know, what type of materials we, we choose, how we process the materials, how we manufacture the materials, how we transport uh, the, the, the products. That's where the, the biggest chunk of any um, fashion brand's carbon footprint, that's where, that's where the, that sits. I mean, we can all change all the light bulbs in the, in the store to, to LEDs, and, and it, it won't move the needle. On the other hand, if we change something further upstream from, from there, that, that's, the, that's the opportunity. But, but I think to your point, it's not only the, 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 the carbon footprint, it's also a lot of the other unhealthy things that we produce, right? The, the, the chemical waste, the, the, the solid waste, the, the dirty water, and, and things that we we emit into the air, all those, all those are, are opportunities for us to think about how can we improve on, on that. One way to think about this challenge or this opportunity is that if we, if we think of our, 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 our telephones, the, the telephone we're using today and the telephone we were using 10 years ago is a completely different piece of instrument. It, it, it provides so much more functionality. It connects us, it protects us, it informs us. It is a, it is a tool that has changed with, with the, the, the times and, and, and with our needs. If we bought a t-shirt 10 years ago and we buy a t-shirt tomorrow, it's essentially the same thing. Uh, this is the heaviest dumb system that we carry around with us. And it is passive and it is it, we have to take care of these things, uh, our clothes, our, our other, the other tools that we use take care of us. 
So, so I think the, the opportunity is that we haven't, we haven't moved and changed, nor have we progressed with, with, with the changing environmental and, and lifestyle requirements. So there's a huge scope to make a big difference. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, I think there, there are, we just haven't, uh, for all of the, the modernity that, that we think of this industry, it's quite conservative. I mean, I, 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 I remember talking to a brand uh, recently, and uh, uh, a, a luxury brand, and basically they said, we haven't changed suppliers for three generations. <laughs> you know, this, we've been doing this forever. It's, 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 and they're very proud of that. And, and I was thinking, but why, why wouldn't you? Why, would, why wouldn't you embrace stuff? So, so there, are, there are things that we, we certainly have, 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 have been slow. Uh, so, so the opportunities are, are there. Why do you think that the um, fashion business, in, in the broadest sense, is so conservative? Because I think the the well, well, well couple of things. Fundamentally, the the, how, the relationship between the the, the user of fashion uh, products and the the fashion brands and designers, if you will, have changed, and we are and, and the industry is sort of trying to 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 recapture some of its 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 uh, its glories of its of its past one once upon a time say up to the 1990s designers dictated to to consumers what is beautiful what the trends and 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 they the the fashion magazines tell us what the looks should be today it's 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 a it's, so that was a top down event today it's a bottom up event right it's a very social very peer to peer type of of activity and 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 yet we are still we still have have these illusions that 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 we that we still have this old industry and that that we that we want to somehow preserve maybe it's the uh, mating calls of, of dinosaurs or, or 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 what have you but but i think secondly too there are some things that 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 work and and we just haven't figured out how to change with the times because it, it has worked good enough so or it's profitable enough so that we don't want to make the the the, the big changes and, and we're all busy right so this is uh, changing tires on a moving vehicle uh, is, is is hard so just exploring a little bit more the dirty production and the fact that this is a very thirsty industry i believe that you are trialing in india a material that came out of your recycling efforts that is very, very water absorbent and that it is possible that it might be able to grow, it might be possible to grow cotton with much less water or any water. Could you tell us about that? Because it sounds fascinating. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, they're, 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 we're, we're actually on our third large scale experiment, growing experiment with, with this. We've been interested in cotton and, and cellulose uh, in general because we want to look for some future solution that is cellulose-based and perhaps some protein-based solutions so that it can take the, the place a lot of, a lot of the petroleum-based materials that we use today. So, so in the cellulose experiments, we, we were messing around with, with recycling of, of cellulose and, and we've been looking at how, what are some high value outputs that we can, we can create with these with these uh, recycled um, materials and and we functionalize and one of the answers is we functionalize cellulose recycled cellulose into a, a super absorbent polymer 
So this is a this is a polymer that that absorbs about 30 times its weight in in water, and then it releases it, and then it does it again re, uh, re, repeatedly. So so we looked at this as an opportunity to improve the the root health of cotton plants while they're growing, and. We tried essentially now, uh, we've, we've been successful essentially now to grow cotton without irrigation S and just using this material. It, it, it pulls moisture in from the ambient environment and stores it and releases it in, a, in, in the appropriate time at, right at the root. And, and so cotton grows faster. The quality of, 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 the, of the cotton fiber is better because the, the, the overall plant is healthier and the yield improves per acre, a double-digit yield improvement on, on a per acre basis. So we're quite excited about this. And, and right now we are we're scaling it up in, in India to, to make sure that we get the proportions right. But we're also developing the second generation of this material uh, in which we're adding nutrients into the, 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 the polymer uh, so that it can also take the place of uh, fertilizer and, and, and things like that. Concurrently, we're also working on a third generation of this material to do all of that, but in a much more efficient uh, manufacturing process. So we, we, we're juggling a couple of balls there, but, but, but the, the whole idea is to, is to... Places like India, you already see the effects of climate change and extreme climate a lot of the the places that we were working with have been have had really really hot summers, and uh, there's some that have very very little water, and other places have flooding. So so I I think going forward the the places where we can grow cotton traditionally may get narrower and narrower. So what if we have these types of uh, materials that can uh, help us grow cotton grow it faster? Because we were working directly with farmers in this project, so can can we get another seat another season out of them so that they they not only grow more cotton and, and are in our healthier yields, but but can we can we do it more frequently? Can we use this material to improve the soil health so that we we put some of the nutrients back into the the, the soil? And can we grow cotton in marginal land, places that in the past just weren't right to to uh, to grow cotton? So these are all things that we're trying to work on as quickly as possible. The, the, the challenge with this project is that every time we, we, we have an experimental question, it takes six months to answer it because that's how long it takes to grow cotton. So the other exciting project is this apron or this fabric, this T-shirt that eats carbon from the air. Could you tell us about that? It's actually half a project. We're, we're halfway through it. But 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 Fotografiska, the Swedish museum, heard about it coincidentally uh, through because we we do some work with H and M Foundation and they got very excited about it, and they are it's now part of their uniform in their in their restaurant, uh, a very nice restaurant in in, in Stockholm. We have been functionalizing uh, cotton materials to to absorb carbon dioxide. Because we've been interested in biodiversity and carbon neutrality as part of our recent research themes. And so we've, we developed this, this functionalized cotton material that, that absorbs, in, in T-shirt form, it's about one-third of a tree, a day's worth of carbon dioxide that, that, is, that is absorbed just in the ambient as you, as you, as you use this, this, this shirt. 
So we were very excited about it. So that's the first part of the experiment. The second part of the experiment that we're working on right now is a chemical release mechanism. Can we, can we keep the carbon dioxide that we sequester in a solid form? And, 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 and we're, we're working on like some calcium carbonate-based types of solutions. Uh, we're basically develop, trying to develop a detergent so that as consumers wash this, this uh, material, it, will, uh, it, it, it pulls all the carbon dioxide out and keeps it in, in, in a solid form. So we did, what happened there was that we told the, the museum, yes, we, we, we figured out the, the, uh, the absorption part. We're now trying figuring out the, the sequestering part. And they sort of talked to us a little bit more about it and said, well, one of the, the mechanisms that we found success in, in doing the release part is that if you just heat it up, if you heat up the T-shirt, then it, the CO2 get, gets released again. And so they got very excited about it uh, because they said, well, what if we release the CO2 in our greenhouse? I said, oh, that's cool because then the, the plants can use it as part of the photosynthesis process and actually then you have this cool cycle. And they just happen to have in their basement a sealed greenhouse where they grow their um, salads and their herbs. And so, in, so they have a very elegant little loop. They, they, it's a uniform during the day, and then at night they, they take all the uniforms and they put it in the greenhouse, it gets heated up, the carbon dioxide gets released, the, the plants use it, and they take their uniforms out in the morning and the cycle goes uh, over again. We we're, we're, we're very happy about, about that idea. And we're looking at solutions like that for, uh, for, for sequestering. So can we take uh, CO2 that we produce uh, during the production process and use it as as a as as a as a as a as food for plants, so that we can we can use it in in the growing of cotton, let's say, and so that we sequester our own uh, the, the CO2 that we produce, and and that stays stable in a in a cotton form. So so we're ex it, it's it's the beginning of, of of exploration. We're very excited. We're looking for different uh, products out of that. Just so we contextualize this, see, we're a small applied research center. We start about 20 to 30 new projects every year. We have about 50 to 60 ongoing projects. We've completed about 200 projects. And, and so we have a lot of research going on. And we, we recently decided that we're going to put all of our sustainability research in one lab. And we found that we have a, an inventory of 60 to 70 sustainability, circularity, recycling-related uh, projects that, that we have, we're, we're building out. So, so I'm going to ask you, of all these projects that you have on the stocks or are planning, without giving away state secrets, which are the ones that excite you the most? So, so one of the things that we have observed is that the opportunities, the, 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 the best opportunities for, for um, making breakthroughs and for disruptions are at the extremes of the supply chain. So, so if, you, if you get as close to the raw material, there you can influence just, just where do we start with? What, 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 what do we work on? And then if you get very close to consumer or post-consumer at, at the point of sale, there you can, there's opportunities to work on new business models. And, and so we've talked about the, the material side, which we, we have ongoing research. We have a, a, a cool hydroponic project 
that we were building something called the world's shortest supply chain, where we go from from raw material to garment, all in a. Uh, uh, I'm tr I'm shooting for for uh, like a 140 foot container, but my my team tells me it has to be two 40 foot containers. So, but but a completely discharge free, self sustaining, uh, enclosed, uh, location free type of solution where you can grow anywhere and and make anywhere. So we're excited about that extreme. Uh, we're also looking at different types of cellulose source. And, and the, the place that we're, we are most excited about are looking at one, um, agricultural waste, which there's a lot of effort around the world on, but the two also saltwater-based solutions. So anything that we can grow in the oceans so that we don't have to compete with food for, for, for resources on the land, we think will be a good idea. So lots of work there. And then on, on the other extreme, on, on the, on the um, point of sale and the consumer side, we're looking at new business models, um, highly intelligent business models, uh, and, and, and new value. So can we sell services instead of uh, products? Can we, can we, how do we monetize ideas? How do we engage cu uh, customers in, in, in different ways? And then the, the, all the extended life of, of uh, materials and products uh, how do we build in second life, uh, second use, third use into materials and, and products that we that, that we create? So so those two extremes, uh, you know, and then post consumer uh, consumer recycling and all that, and building building first world more consumer consumption based uh, economy solutions. Because I, I think things that we want to recycle today are in the wrong parts of the world, right? They're in the consuming economies where there are no uh, capabilities to do any type of uh, processing. So the factories are in, are in the manufacturing economies. So, so we have all this material there. Are there ways that, that we can provide highly intelligent, high, highly intelligent, highly effective, highly automated solutions that, so that these can be processed into other high value materials so that they can be used again and again? Uh, so, so, so cool things like that are ongoing. When we did our research at MGI on the bio-revolution, we talked explicitly about innovation being the start of the journey, then it's commercialization, then it's adoption. So it's interesting that you're talking about business models, because that clearly has to be a huge part of your thinking and, and obviously is. How far are we along that journey with some of the innovations that you've been talking about? How have how far have we got to go to get to the commercialization and then the adoption to the scale that will make a real difference? The, the, the nightmare scenario is too little too late, right? That we, we have these things, but it doesn't, it, 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 we, we don't get there till 2040 or something like that, by which time we've had some irreparable uh, damage uh, to, to, to our environment. So one of the things that, that we're excited about is a disruption to the innovation model itself. And so we are, so how can we get things, solutions to the, to the marketplace faster? So a couple of principles, so it's a long answer to your short question is, one, we, we think that most real world challenges are multidisciplined. So it's a science problem, it's a logistics problem, it's a business case problem, and you have to solve all of them for it to, to, uh, 
for it to 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 have a marketplace. So so what what we're doing is that instead of building um, scientific domain expertise, we intentionally put groups of people, groups of researchers from very different domains together to collaborate on on projects together. We intentionally, in most of our projects, have different stakeholders up and down the supply chain working together on on these solutions, so that we don't, so that we, we take into consideration the the the, the manufacturing challenges, the 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 pricing challenges, the the uh, the end of use or distribution challenges in in the solution. So so working in in, in a, a quite a multidisciplined a, a, approach and trying to solve everything is so so one of our mantras there is that uh, closure is overrated and things will be a little bit messy just live with it <laughs> and, and and so 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 the third principle uh, we have there is is this what we call the the the, the software uh, innovation model which is that we are aiming for 1.0 uh, and we want to release 1.0 as quickly as possible so so we have a sense of impatience and a sense of urgency and we don't try to have perfection before we roll uh, most of our solutions out. Uh, so it's the 1.0, we know that it's got some bugs, we know we'll have some patches along the way, but we want to throw these solutions out in the marketplace as quickly as possible and we'll, we'll, we'll make the fixes and improvements as we, as we scale up. It's, it's, a, it's, it's messy, it's, it's a little bit, you have to sort of be confident that if we are, it's, it's sort of solving the right things. Uh, and, and, and you have the confidence that if we have these exciting challenges and they are meaningful and useful, that the, the right people, the right help will come along, people will help us with, it, with the right solutions, and that it is, it is the, the conviction that, that we will get there because it's 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 the right thing to to do. So so we'll, we'll failure is okay, but we expect to to be successful. In in, in sort of the, I, I don't know. It, it's sort of like a a, a little bit of a, a tightrope walk. But you are optimistically impatient, I, I guess, or or uh, something along along that that line. But but it, it's it's a it's it's quite a roller coaster ride for some of our team members, especially our younger team members, uh, especially with their tradition. We have to sort of if they've got their PhD, they they they, they tend to be quite more disciplined, and, and we say, well, I'll throw that out the window. Let's let's take some risks. So going back to the consumer, I mean, is there a danger that consumers like me? will stand in the way because they won't adopt. I mean, obviously, you get to the point where everything is sustainable. Anything that they're being offered on their online retailer is sustainable. At the moment, there's a smattering of dresses and T-shirts that say ecologically this or sustainable that. I don't know whether they are. And I tend to try and choose them if I, if I like them. But it has to be a lot more than that. The scale to reach a tipping point has to be much bigger how do you see the consumer reacting to all of this? So, so the, 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 there's a couple of perspectives that we have on this. So I, I think you're, you're right. There, there is enough consumer education in which there is aspiration for consumers to say, I want to be more, more green in, in, my, in my consumption and in, my, in the choices I make. But also, on the other hand, there are some consumer inconsistencies. 
you know, I'm still looking for at the price tag, and 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 that drives my my behavior. So, but but I think every day that that becomes less and less of a challenge. It's it's a matter of how how do we communicate with with with, with our consumers so that we help them make decisions that ultimately give them the utility that they that they were looking for in in their consumption in the first place. One of the things that we as we talked with with stakeholders. Through this pandemic is quite interesting because I think the pandemic also shaped a lot of consumer behaviors. Before the pandemic, it was quite clear that consumers are looking, aesthetics is the most important thing that consumers are looking for. Does this make me look good, right? During and after the pandemic, while that is still important, there were additional questions uh, um, because they said, does this make me look good? Does this make me feel good? And does this make me feel safe also became questions. So does this make me feel good? We thought was quite interesting because consumers, last thing consumers want is to feel guilty about their consumption. I'm buying this and at, at the and I'm I and I'm supporting some destroying the the world with, with this consumption. That doesn't make me feel good. So how do we how do we have enough transparency and disclosure to help consumers say, oh, peace of mind you are you are here here are the social implications of, of what you're doing here are the environmental implications of, of your of your choice uh, it makes you look good make you should feel good and, and then and then finally the, the the utility is also around what type of my relationship to my clothes it does this are there some functionalities uh, high performance characteristics that 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 makes keeps me safer or makes me feel feel um, uh, have more peace of mind in, in, in using these products. So we want to we want to support all of these 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 types of changes with consumers. With the brands, what we are saying is that look, once upon a time, this was a challenge with your CSR department five years ago, let's say. Today, this is a conversation we want to have with your C- CFOs because I think they're going to be clearly winners and losers in this. So it's 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 a zero sum game. We can't grow the consumption volume anymore. We in fact we have to shrink our consumption model. We're using too much resources. We're buying too, we're selling too many clothes, and we're making consumers buy too many clothes. So the only way we're going to grow, successful brands are going to grow, is by taking market share away from the competitors, and the brands that are part of the solution, the brands that are one of the good guys uh, in these types of challenges, sustainability. Probably will be the winners. So, so you have to really be in that right pack, and therefore, this is now a a survival, and this is now a growth, and this is now a a, a financial challenge. And you need to invest and, and put money behind making sure that you're one of the first movers uh, in in this trend. So, so that message resonates well with with with, with brands, consumers. I, I think they're not only price sensitive they still are but i think they're also value sensitive now so 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 it's it's how does this make me look how does this make me feel what utility am i getting out of this and i think i think this is where we can give a more complete uh, a solution uh, as 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 consumers consume i just wanted to go back to something you said earlier about when you were talking about business models you were talking about exploring what services that you could provide I didn't really understand what that had to do with sustainability, and I just wanted you to explain more about your thinking there. 
So, so, so a great example and a great experiment we are doing with that is our garment-to-garment -garment system. So this is a retail recycling business that the first store opened in, in 2019 and still, it, it's still operating uh, as a standalone for-profit. And, and there, what we're asking consumers to do is bring your old clothes. And then at the store, we'll break them down into, into fibers. We'll make yarn out of them and we'll take the, the, the yarns that, that from your old clothes and we'll, we'll 3D knit you new clothes. So there we are providing a service, right? It, 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 we'll give you new, new looking clothes. You're just bringing the raw material for it. So, so we have been trying to, not successful so far, but we've, been, we've approached several designers and said, well, why don't you sell designs? Why do you why do you have to sell products? So so come work with us. Help us program these. We're not artists. You, you guys are the designers. Right now, if you go into our shop, the the question we ask is V neck or crew neck because those are the only two things we know how to program. But but come help us program some better stuff into our three D knitting system. And it's your design. We'll put your label on it, and you're selling a design. So so are there digitized solutions? like that of, of selling services. I, I think there's a lot of effort to figure out leasing and rental and, and, and resell. I don't think any, anybody has cracked the, uh, uh, the code on, on that. But I think those types of, of services are, are important for us to explore. And then on the other side of that are, are predictive analytics. How do we get the right clothes in the right style, in the right color, in the right size to the right store at a price that consumers are willing to pay so that we end up making less but selling more. And, and so the profit comes from reducing the debt stock and the inventory risks that, that, that uh, a lot of brands are, uh, are faced with because of this dynamic marketplace that we're in. It's, it's harder and harder to use regression analysis, which is most of of the, 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 the systems that, that, that buyers are using today. You know, what sold last season is what I want to buy next season. That doesn't work when the market is shifting so, so quickly. And that doesn't work when you are trying to expand uh, into another new international market or something like that. So, so we, we've developed some, some uh, forward-looking tools instead of regression. So, so looking for information out of social media and other peer-to-peer other -peer communications and looking at, at trend directions and how things flow from, from one economy to the, to the other economy and so that we can make more accurate um, manufacturing and, and logistics decisions. So, so those we're, we're fairly excited about. So we've taken up a lot of your time uh, and I could go on and on, but I just wanted to finish, if that's okay, with some very quick fire questions. So my first one is, what makes you the most pessimistic? Well, we, we've touched on it, which, which is too little, too late. We, we, we have short attention spans. We, we tend to focus on, on, on something, but not very long. And, and unfortunately, things like uh, um, climate change is a long slug that will need decades of, of focused attention. So that's a concern. And what makes you most optimistic? I, I don't think that, that humankind will be extinct because of the fashion decisions that we make. We have so far, as a species, have solved every major challenge that have come along our way. And I know we can, we can do this as well. Uh, it's just getting the right 
people working on the right problems. So if you didn't specialize in retail, fashion, innovation, what would you be doing? Well, first of all, I don't think I'm specialist at all. I have a very short attention span. I, I, I think that I'm, I'm in a great place because this job allows me to explore very, uh, uh, very broadly. But if I, were, if I were not doing this, I would probably be very excited to, to work with some, some of the social challenges that, that, that we see around the, the world today. Uh, and some of the economic opportunities that, that I, I think that there are just so many things that, that, that don't require a, uh, a, a lot of effort but can yield a lot, of, uh, a lot of results for a lot of people. That kind of takes us full circle because you started working in refugee camps. So that's where your heart lies. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, uh, this is this, I, 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 I think... One of the things that you don't want to happen is you don't want to happen and you don't want to turn 60 and then look back and say, oh, I wish I, I, wish I had done that. I wish I, you know, and, and if, if that happens to be, I wish I had climbed Mount Everest. Well, you can't do it. You don't, your knees won't get you there anymore. So, so I think it, we all need to to optimize with the with uh, in in everything that we do to to say what am I going to be most happy uh, what am I going to be most useful is at, when I look back on, on on things that I've spent my time on and and so so making sure that we focus on those the the biggest the most uh, audacious challenges I think will. Yeah, will be will be cool. I I, I think the, the geek term for it is make sure that you don't you don't have a, a regret avoidance regression analysis. <laughs> On that almost impenetrable note, thank you very much, Edwin. It's been a real blast. <laughs> thank you, Janet. Forward thinking is a production of the McKinsey Global Institute. Find us online at mckinsey.com slash MGI or at McKinsey underscore MGI on Twitter. If you like this episode and want to hear more, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Forward Thinking is hosted by Janet Bush and me, Michael Chewy. Our audio engineer is Colin Warren. The opinions expressed by podcast guests are their own and do not reflect the views or opinions of the McKinsey Global Institute. References to specific products, services, or organizations do not constitute any endorsement or recommendation by MGI.